Hello, friends. Welcome to Understanding Kindness, a podcast hosted by me, Danny. I'm someone who approaches life by learning from everyone around me, and I've decided to write it all down and talk about it here with you. I've learned that in order to create change in this world, we need to understand ourselves and the world around us, all while infusing kindness into everything we do. If I can do it, you can do it, and we can do it together. Welcome to Understanding Kindness. Hi, everybody. Today, I want to talk a bit about my journey through veganism. I know I've discussed my veganism before, but it's changed, shifted, morphed. I want to talk about where I started, what I've learned, how my views have changed, and what my views are currently. I will let you, dear listener, know that my discussion around these concepts and realities will be frank. I will not be sugarcoating my views or the processes at play. Not that I do that anyway. But I believe we all deserve to make completely informed, free, prior, and consensual decisions about how we choose to live. I'm assuming that my way of discussing things is a part of the reason you listen to this podcast, so come join me to learn some more about my veganism and compassionate living. I won't give any more spoilers here, though, so keep listening to learn where I am now. Okay, for our native segment today, we're talking oil pipelines again. This time, however, it's not Line 3 that I'm highlighting. It's Kinder Morgan's Trans Mountain Pipeline in southwestern Canada. The Trans Mountain Pipeline, or TMX, is a reconstruction project, much like Line 3. There is a pre-existing pipeline, and Kinder Morgan plans to reroute and reconstruct the pipeline. Its intended route is from Edmonton, Alberta, to Vancouver, British Columbia, and, of fucking course, it passes right through Indigenous Chequamook territory. And, of fucking course, Kinder Morgan, the Canadian government, and the RCMP, or Royal Canadian Mounted Police, are allowing the construction of TMX without Chequamook free prior and informed consent, or FPIC, which we learned is the international standard and bare minimum required to build on and pass through indigenous lands, set by the UN. Chequamook territory, or Chequamookalikwa, is unceded land, meaning the Chequamook have never given their land over to any government. The Chequamook people are the caretakers and original inhabitants of this land and have given no jurisdiction to the Canadian government or oil companies there. Today, I want to talk about the Tiny House Warriors. They are a Chequamook community who are constructing off-grid tiny houses along the proposed TMX route in their territory to stand in defiance and block the construction. They have faced a wide variety of abuse over the past four years since they began their occupation on the pipeline's path. From property destruction to arrest to bodily harm and threats, the tiny house warriors have seen much terror from the Canadian government, the RCMP, and white aggressors. They are still in the process of constructing all of their 10 tiny houses and are still looking for support. To donate financial support to the tiny house warriors, you'll find a link on tinyhousewarriors.com. There you can learn more about their mission and read some press releases on the construction of TMX and its indigenous-led resistance. You can find even more information about the resistance, info on man camps and the devastation that they cause to indigenous communities, 
and more info on the Shequipmuc people and their territory at shequipmucalukwa.org. That's S-E-C-W-E-P-E-M-C-U-L-E-W dot org. To show your support in a unique way, the Tiny House Warriors have put together a playlist that you can purchase for a suggested donation of $10, but more is always welcome. The playlist includes 41 songs on decolonization, resistance, indigenous community by a variety of artists. You can access the playlist and purchase it at tinyhousewarriors.bandcamp.com. As always, I'll link all of these in the episode notes. Shout outs. Here we are, our shout outs to my wonderful patrons. Thank you very much. I deeply appreciate you. If you'd like to become a member of the Patreon family, visit patreon.com slash understandingkindnesspodcast. Okay, so veganism. Before I get too far, I want to define veganism as a dietary choice. Also referred to as a plant-based diet, veganism in solely diet form is the omission of any animal product in one's diet. This includes animals' flesh, aka meat, non-human animal secretions, or dairy and eggs, products made with animals' body parts, as is the case with some alcohols, and possibly some things that I may be leaving out. Many of those who call themselves vegan take the lifestyle one step further and omit any use of animals from the way they live. This would include non-human animals' skin, like furs, ducks and geese's feathers, also called down, cow's flesh, aka leather, silkworms' secretions, or silk, tools made from animals' body parts, the use of animals for non-consensual labor and entertainment, and, again, more that I'm sure I'm leaving out. This is the lifestyle that I've been living for most of my time as a vegan. As you may know from previous episodes, when I first started eating a plant-based diet, and when I first began calling myself a vegan, I began listening to a podcast called The Bearded Vegans. This is about five years ago now. They taught me a lot about compassionate living and about the current systems used to raise, slaughter, process, and sell non-human animals for profit and the use of their lives and bodies for human animal entertainment. As any compassionate person, I'm opposed to any type of system that brings beings into life only to murder them and sell their body parts or to use their lives non-consensually. Let's face it, that's what the system is and does. No matter if you get your animal flesh from an animal agriculture system or from a small local farmer. We'll come back to this idea a little later. So when I began my journey of veganism, I was eliminating animal products from my diet to begin with. Almost overnight, I began eating solely plants, and I felt great about it. As I've said before, I finally felt like I was living my morals, my ethics. I had never eaten meat with much enthusiasm and really enjoyed plant-based alternatives like tofu, beans, nuts, and seeds, so eliminating that from my diet was pretty simple. I ate a lot of dairy and eggs, especially in meals that I'd cook and or eat. Non-human animals' milk, cheese, I really enjoyed, and I put it on everything. Eliminating that from my diet was a bit more difficult. At first, I missed it a lot. I missed being able to eat whatever I felt like. I missed the perceived convenience of always having multiple options to choose from. I missed seeming 
normal. Through all those things that I missed, I kept to it. It really felt powerful to be living in a way where I actually understood all the actions I was taking. Having grown up in a society and culture where everyone just did the norm, what they'd always done, apparently for no real reason, finally living with intention and with a set of morals that I understood and could choose to live by was life-changing. As I began learning more and more from listening to The Bearded Vegans, I expanded my repertoire to other podcasts and YouTube channels about veganism. I began wanting to keep doing more, keep learning more. Through the YouTube algorithm, which I do admit is highly effective and accurate, I found sustainability. I was introduced to Shell Bizzle on YouTube, who recommended The Story of Stuff by Annie Leonard. Once I read that, about three or so years into my veganism, I dove headfirst into learning more about sustainability, too. To me, it seemed like the most obvious path forward in creating a world who will be able to repair herself, with us here, too, and be around for generations to come. Veganism and sustainability are quite closely tied together. In our current system, veganism is usually seen as the most sustainable option since the farming of non-human animals produces so much CO2 and methane. On top of that, ecosystems are being destroyed to grow monoculture crops for these captive beings to live off of. Also, side note, in the case of cows, the grain that is grown for them to consume isn't even part of their natural diet. Cows eat grass, not grains. Feeding them something that their bodies aren't equipped to digest results in sickness, which is treated with an incredible amount of antibiotics. Eventually, this, as well as the horrific conditions in which they're forced to live their lives, leads to death and, for both us human animals who consume their flesh and them, a decrease in the efficacy of antibiotics. This antibiotic treatment is actually not only relevant and true for cows, but all non-human animals born and bred into these living conditions. Anyway... The path from veganism to sustainability was a short one, since most who preached sustainability at least follow a plant-based diet. Something that was interesting to me while I watched these videos on sustainability was that these environmentalists didn't necessarily omit non-human animals' products from all areas of their lives. They'd use silk or buy used leather. This got me very curious. While I didn't just jump onto that bandwagon and begin using those products, I wanted to know more. I began following more channels on sustainability, reading more books on it. I learned a lot. I learned that using or buying things made with non-human animals' bodies wasn't always quote-unquote bad. When something is created in this world, we tend to get our use out of it, and then when it breaks or we just want a new shiny something... We toss it to the wayside, or donate it, or give it away, or sell it. We don't tend to fix it. So when Amber, of fairly local family, back then fairly local vegan, would talk about keeping old leather things that they've had for years and years, and would continue to fix it if ever it needed repairing, I saw that as a pretty obvious way forward. Amber talked about the labor, resources, time, and sometimes lives that were used or taken to create these items. 
They wanted to continually make use of the item since so much was put into its creation. Repairing it also was more cost-effective than buying a new one. Buying second-hand leather shoes isn't the same as buying a brand new pair of leather boots. This second-hand pair has already been created. Amber's, or my desire or need for a new pair of shoes, didn't need to create more resource use or labor when there are already so many pairs of shoes out there still perfectly usable. Amber talks about buying second-hand items that last long. Sometimes this means ones created with non-human animals' body parts. When taken care of, they last longer than the synthetic wannabes. Plus, buying second-hand didn't put more strain on systems to continue to create more and more stuff. That was simple enough for me to understand, and I soon began living my life with this view. When I'd go shopping at second-hand or thrift shops, I wouldn't look at the label to see what an item was made from. I understood that buying a second-hand product, any second-hand product, was better than purchasing a new product. Especially in a point in time where things are manufactured and created with planned obsolescence in mind. Planned obsolescence is a term that I heard first from Shel Bizzle and later in the story of stuff. Planned obsolescence is how companies get you to buy more of their products. Ever notice how quickly your new stuff breaks or stops working? Look at our smartphones. Sure, some people have ones from over five years ago, but most of us are walking around with newer models. Lots of the newer phones' features don't even work on older versions. Older phones stop updating after so many years because they want you to buy a new one. And it's, it's not just phones. How about those kitchen appliances? My mom has this little blender that she mostly specifically uses for dicing garlic. It's a very handy little machine, but it breaks. In the four or so years that she's had one of these little machines, she's had to buy a replacement three times. Sure, the thing might only be $18 new, but now she's spent $54 to dice garlic over the past four years. Now, there's a whole thing with weighing the convenience, with the price, with the actual cost that I could go into right now, but I will digress here. Maybe that's for a future episode. So now, with that understanding, I was shopping secondhand at garage sales, thrift shops, secondhand stores. My diet hadn't changed. I still saw no way that I could eat animals' bodies and secretions. I still felt in alignment with my ethics, and even more so now that I understood more about manufacturing and secondhand shopping. During this time, I was also learning about indigenous history and cultures. I learned about how indigenous peoples cared for the land, the animals, the water, the plants in the places they live. I found this riveting and it struck me to my core. I understood this way of living because I wanted to live like that, in total connection with the place you are in. I also learned more about how native peoples hunted non-human animals and used their bodies for food, clothing, supplies, tools, jewelry, and so many other things. This is another aspect of that total connection with the place you are in. In order to live, survive, thrive in an environment, natives turn to everyone else living with them in their specific places, the flora and fauna of each place. Indigenous peoples see these beings as teachers, holders of knowledge and wisdom that human animals don't necessarily have inherently. 
We are learners. Indigenous peoples learn from the beings around them to make use of everything. Everything, every one, has a purpose. We are a part of nature. We are not separate or above or beyond nature. We are nature. We are animals. We are unique in that we have the ability to listen and learn from everyone around us. Our place here is just as important and integral as the grass, as the sheep, as the maple, as the buffalo. And the grass and the sheep and the maple and the buffalo teach us to make use of everything that we can. So indigenous peoples hunt non-human animals and use every single part of their bodies. They understand the significance of a life given to sustain yours, and they use all of that life so as not to take it for granted. Natives live in harmony with the place they are from, wherever that may be. Instead of capturing, forcibly breeding, raising, slaughtering, processing, and selling a being's body, they hunt in ways that show respect and gratitude for a being's entire life that is being taken to sustain their own. I have no qualms with that way of living. I did have a qualm with how this connected to my veganism, though. I didn't understand how to reconcile these disparate ways of living. I continued to learn more and more, to think more and more about how I felt about these differences and ways of being. I began to question my morals and ethics. What do they really mean? If I feel so connected and understanding of these indigenous ways, why do I not eat animals' flesh and secretions? Well, first of all, I don't know how to hunt, and I've not enjoyed fishing in the past, though I mostly only fished for quote-unquote fun. Second of all, I've never needed to. I grew up going to the grocery store to purchase food, being so disconnected from where my sources of life were coming from. I was never taught these ways of living. I'm learning about them now, though, so how does that change the ways I live and think now? Well, I know that it's possible to live completely on plants since I've been doing that for about five years now, and I love it. I don't crave or necessarily want to eat animals or their secretions, and I certainly don't need to. I can grow my own food and live a full life on that. I don't believe that indigenous people and communities who hunt and eat animals and or their secretions are quote-unquote bad. In fact, I believe their ways of life are completely natural and in alignment with our place here on Earth. What I do believe is unacceptable are the animal agriculture quote-unquote farming practices where most non-human animal flesh and secretions that are consumed in today's world come from. I now understand my abstinence from animals' flesh in a twofold manner. On the one hand, I choose not to eat animals and their secretions because I don't need to. And I eat wonderfully when I only consume plants. On the other hand, I choose not to buy another being's flesh and secretions. Not only do I vehemently oppose the animal agriculture systems that imprison, forcibly breed, slaughter, process, and sell animals' bodies and secretions, I also don't support any animal agriculture that makes a living off of selling another's flesh and secretions. Obviously, I'm an anti-capitalist, so I don't agree with exploiting others for a financial gain, and that's exactly what's happening in any animal agriculture system. 
I understand that within this system, individuals need to make a living in order to survive. I also understand that there are a myriad of other ways to make a living other than selling body parts and secretions, and many of us can make the choice to switch. It may be uncomfortable to change or switch directions, but uncomfortability is where we grow. We can grow as a society away from exploitation of beings, and I'm all for that. I choose my diet based on the most compassionate way that I know currently. I understand that there are people being exploited to produce all of the food that I buy, and that's part of the reason that I'm choosing to grow more and more of my own food. I also don't want to be dependent on a system for and have to buy my life sustenance. I believe that living off of the land is the most natural, most sustainable way to live. I'm on a journey to try to restore that way of life so we can all live in harmony and compassion in that sense. I am not alone. I did not get here on my own. I've joined countless people, specifically natives, before me who have fought and died for their way of life, for the most harmonic way of living with our Mother Earth. I'm doing the best I know how in the situation I am in currently and with the knowledge that I'm gaining along the way. I cannot say if one day in the future I will be hunting and fishing as well as gathering for my food and resources. I do know that living in this way, with gratitude for those giving up their lives for mine, brings much more peace than a disconnected purchase of a slaughtered, captive being's life that was forcibly taken. I'm living my life actualizing the world I want to live in, one that's sustainable, one that's compassionate, one with gratitude, and one where we all continue learning and growing. Recommendations. Alrighty, here are the recommendations for today. I started with the bearded vegans who helped guide me through my veganism and leading a compassionate life, Shell Bizzle on YouTube and The Story of Stuff, The Impact of Overconsumption on the Planet, Our Communities, and Our Health, and How We Can Make It Better, by Annie Leonard, helped me learn more about sustainability and my impact on Earth. Amber from Fairly Local Family taught me about the importance of repairing and shopping secondhand. I also want to mention Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teachings of Plants, by Robin Wall Kimmerer, for so eloquently opening my eyes to entire worlds and possibilities. To learn more about the Tiny House Warriors and the TMX Pipeline, visit tinyhousewarriors.com. For more information on the Shaquipmuk Defiance, check out shaquipmukalikwa.org. That's spelled S-E-C-W-E-P-E-M-C-U-L-E-C-W.org. You can find the awesome Tiny House Warriors playlist on tinyhousewarriors.bandcamp.com. All of these will be linked in the episode notes. If you enjoyed this episode, help support the podcast. All this content is free and I'd love to make it my job one day. So if you're financially able, join our Patreon or send a one-time or recurring donation through PayPal. You can also share an episode with family or friends and give UK a kind rating and review. Check out understandingkindness.com for all episodes, transcripts, and blog posts. And why not take a listen to my other podcast, Better When Awkward, co-hosted by my childhood best friend, Jasmine. Get in touch with me by emailing understandingkindness at protonmail.com or through social media. You can find all links in the episode notes. For now, be kind. 
be compassionate, be understanding, and question everything. I'll be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Understanding Kindness.